0: At this time, I'd like to invite Pastor Mike Sayers up. He's the director of Urban Sky, the founding pastor of Scum of the Earth Church as well. It's our pleasure to have you here, sir. Thank you for being here. Would you give him a warm welcome this morning? It's really great to be back with you all again Uh, quite an honor frankly for me to be asked to come back after you've heard me once (laughs) I guess uh, you didn't hate me last time let's uh, say a prayer really quick if you would with me Lord Jesus we love you We thank you for your forgiveness. I ask that you would bless the exposition of your words this morning, that they would be like seeds that take root in our hearts and find good soil and grow and produce good fruit in our lives and the lives of others In your name we pray, amen. A Chinese proverb says that uh, before starting down the road to revenge, you better dig two graves. Obviously one for yourself and one for the person upon whom you want to take revenge. You don't just forgive for the other person's sake. When we forgive, we forgive for our sakes as well. If we want to truly find Christ's peace in our lives, then we must learn to forgive as we have been forgiven by Jesus. I think you've probably all undoubtedly heard the saying that bitterness is the poison you drink hoping that somebody else is going to die. That's the alternative. There's a story from the Renaissance in Italy that I'd like to share with you. Leonardo da Vinci, just uh, before he commenced work on his painting, The Last Supper, I think we've got a slide of that, had a violent argument with a fellow painter. A really bad disagreement. Leonardo was so angry with this fellow artist that he decided to paint that guy's face as the face of Judas in his last supper. Now, Judas, if you don't know which one he is, he's the guy with his elbow on the table in the, on the left there. Who knows, maybe that's why my dad always told me never to keep my elbows on the dinner table. I don't know. So Leonardo finished that face first and then proceeded to paint the others and try to paint the face of Jesus, but he got stuck trying to paint the face of Jesus. And he couldn't figure out why he couldn't quite get the face of Jesus right until he examined his motives for painting the face of Judas with this guy that he hated I mean think about it you're painting the arch-villain in the gospel stories well maybe Satan is the arch-villain but you're painting the betrayer as the face of this guy that everybody else knows and whose face is going to go down in succeeding generations as the face of the one who betrayed Jesus and Leonardo Leonardo finally came to the realization that until he forgave this fellow painter he would never be able to paint the face of Jesus so he finally he blotted out The face of Judas as the face of the guy proceeded to paint the face of Jesus the one we come to know and love over the hundreds of years because he finally was clear enough to do it and then painted a face later for Judas here's my question Have you had any problems seeing the face of Jesus recently? Have you had difficulty like hearing his voice? Have you had a hard time understanding what he's up to? If so, the question this morning is whether or not there's someone in your life. Whom you need to forgive from your heart. Because when we won't forgive we are actually calling judgment down upon ourselves. Maybe you need to forgive your mother or your father or some other family member. Maybe it's somebody from work or somebody from the neighborhood. Maybe it's somebody from your past. We are in fact judging ourselves every time we say the Lord's Prayer. We are judging ourselves about unforgiveness and so what I wanna do right now is I want us to pray the prayer in a different translation than we're normally used to praying. I've chosen the New Living Translation. So let's pray the prayer from Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one then jesus goes on to say if you forgive those who sin against you your heavenly father will forgive you but if you refuse to forgive others Your father will not forgive your sins. Now, just because we want the testimony of two witnesses, even though those are the words of Jesus, let's go to James. James, I don't know if you realize this, James, most theologians believe, is the younger brother of Jesus. Now, he was the son of Mary and Joseph. Jesus was only the son of Mary, and of course, his heavenly father. But can you imagine for a minute, just think about this, growing up with Jesus as your older brother, the perfect one, the one who did everything right. Can you just see Mary being upset with James going, James, why are you doing this to us? Can't you be more like Jesus? And I think it would be difficult as a little brother of Jesus, my older brother. that perfect one. It may be one of the reasons that his brothers were some of the later converts after the resurrection to Jesus' divinity. But we know they came to Christ. Jude, actually, the book of Jude, uh, was even his younger brother. But let's hear what James has to say about this. James 2, verses 12 through 13. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Now, you might wanna say to James, James, wait a minute, isn't God's forgiveness free? Are you asking us to earn our salvation by forgiving those who harm us? And the answer of course is yes, God's forgiveness is free, but it's also devastating. When God's grace comes into our lives, it doesn't leave us the way we were, it changes us. And one of the first changes it makes is to give us the ability to forgive those who harm us. It gives us power to forgive as we have been forgiven. By forgiving others, we are proving that we have accepted the forgiveness of Christ. If we refuse to forgive those who harm us, we're showing that we really haven't accepted God's forgiveness, and thus it is removed from us. When we refuse to forgive, we're allowing the sin that was committed against us to hurt us twice. The first time when the thing happened and the second time and thereafter, by keeping us from receiving God's free gift of grace, we need to stop the pain and forgive. Now I think maybe the best thing I can do is to tell you first what forgiveness is not. So that we can look at what it is a little bit later forgiveness is not a feeling you don't have to feel it it's an act of your will if you don't want to forgive somebody you're going to have to ask god to help you to want to forgive you're going to have to pray and ask for the desire to forgive because god wants you to forgive he will give you the power and if you have not maybe it's because we haven't asked so forgiveness is not a feeling but an act of your will Forgiveness is not agreeing with what was done to you. Absolutely not. This is a big stumbling block for a lot of people. They think by forgiving something, they're saying, well, that was okay what he did. It wasn't okay what he did. It wasn't okay what she said. You know that was wrong. Forgiving somebody doesn't change that. Next, forgiveness is not followed by a but. As in, I forgive you, but I will never speak to you. I will never see you. I will never do anything for you for the rest of my life. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not deserved. This is so simple nobody deserves to be forgiven what they did was inexcusable it was wrong it was painful it was perhaps even evil no one deserves to be forgiven For- forgiveness is a mercy you are holding something against them and deciding I'm going to let it go for free. You didn't earn this. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Now reconciliation, when you come back together with somebody in the same manner, even more closely than before, it's proof that forgiveness has finally taken part on both sides and it's come to full maturity. This may take quite some time. If one person has died, then final reconciliation won't be able to happen until the afterlife. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is a gift, but trust is earned. You steal from me, I can forgive you, but I'm not leaving my wallet where you can get to it easily. I'll keep it in my pocket with the button buttoned. Or back in the scum of the earth days, I'll keep it on my wallet chain. Forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. And forgiveness is not understanding why what happened to you happened. I mean, we may never know why God let that happen. Perhaps he'll let us know in heaven. And we just need to be okay with that. I'm sorry. I want you to think of your situation like a court case, all right? You are both the plaintiff and the prosecuting attorney. The person that you're going to forgive is the defendant. You've done a phenomenal job of compiling your evidence, your brief. And day of the court case comes and you're dressed in your best black label Armani suit. You are fierce. You are prepared. Everybody knows it. The courtroom doors open and you bring in not one, not two, but three two-wheel dollies full of evidence of why this person is guilty and how this person has hurt you and you wheel it up and you lay it all on the judge's bench and just as you're about ready to give your opening remarks you stand up you turn around and you walk your well-dressed behind, right out of the courtroom, leaving everything for the judge to decide. That's forgiveness. You take your entire case, and the Lord knows you have one, against the offender, and you leave it all before the judge to rule on, because you know that he knows everything, and that he is perfectly just, because he is perfectly merciful. And you know that he will rule on the matter perfectly. Now here's the benefit, the kicker. Because you have decided to accept whatever ruling the judge hands down, you are now free to walk out of the courtroom and live your life. You're free. When we forgive ourselves, Uh, those who harm us, we cut the chain that links us to them and the hurt. We're free. We're free to go. So, folks, if, if you're struggling at all with unforgiveness today, I beg you to please decide this instant take all your files all your evidence all your prepared speeches and leave them at the judge's bench he cannot act contrary to his own nature so God will do right by you and as often as you find yourself going into that little computer that resides in your brain all those old files that you have stored in the memory banks, please also envision yourself dropping those files into an email and sending them off to Jesus. And then you'll get a FaceTime or a Skype or a Zoom call back from the Lord, and you get to see a smiling face saying, good job proud of you. You did exactly what I did for you." Her name was uh, 66730, or at least that was the name she went by. Her father had died in the German concentration camp, as did her sister. Her freedom, her dignity, Her humanity had all been stripped away by those who imprisoned her, and yet she survived. They had robbed her of everything she ever possessed, but they could not rob her of the one who possessed her, Jesus. She saw every day in Ravensbrück, the concentration camp, an opportunity to minister to somebody who was more needy than herself. And then one day she was released. It was a clerical error. No one knows how it came about. And as suddenly as she had become a prisoner, she was freed. And then her solitary aim was to minister to others. When the war, when World War II was over, she began traveling and speaking sharing about her savior and the vision that he had given her. And then one day something happened that shook her to the very center of her being. Please allow me to read to you her account of what happened. And you probably don't know her as uh, 66730. You would be more apt to know her as Corey Tenboom. This is what she writes. I was at a church service in Munich, Germany, when I saw him, the former Nazi SS soldier who had stood guard at the shower room during our processing at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing on the floor, my sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. The former guard came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. Fraulein, he said, to think as you say, He has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine and I, who had preached so often to the people in Bloemendal, the need to forgive, kept my hand to my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus I prayed forgive me and help me I cannot forgive him give me your forgiveness I tried to smile I struggled to raise my hand I could not I felt nothing not the slightest spark of warmth or charity and so again, I breathed a silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so he discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that this world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. I don't know how many of you have ever met or read author Phil Yancey, who lives just, you know, up I 70 in the mountains around Evergreen. But he says in his book, what's so amazing about grace? At last I understood in the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all the issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. Is there someone whom you need to forgive? Is there someone with whom you have not talked in a long time because of what they did? Is there someone that you refuse to think about? Is there someone that you avoid like a plague? Is there someone? for whom you're waiting for a confession before you decide to offer forgiveness, you must forgive them. Your own forgiveness depends upon it. There's a spiritual principle that I'm gonna share with you. It's simple but profound. People grow spiritually Up to the point of their own personal disobedience people keep growing spiritually up to the point where they refuse to obey the thing that the Holy Spirit is asking them to do so if you want to keep growing spiritually and God is asking you to forgive somebody please please Consider doing it today. And let me help you by giving you steps toward forgiveness. These come from John and Paula Sanford, Christian counselors from some years back, in their book, Choosing Forgiveness. Number one, ask for God's help. I talked about this a little bit before, but honestly, desire to be free from the burden of unforgiveness and prepare your heart to forgive somebody. Number two, clarify what it is you need to forgive. Like you just can't have some vague idea of I hate that person. You've got to do some meditation before the Lord and ask him, why do I hate this person? So that you know specifically what it is you need to forgive. Verbalize your feelings. Say them out loud. Lord, I forgive John for X, Y, and Z. Be specific. Be detailed. Be real. Believe it in prayer and expect the Lord to complete it as you continue. Number three, sit down with a wise counselor or a friend and talk it over. This is really important because we have blind spots. You sit down with a counselor or a friend, you're talking about how you think you need to forgive somebody and they point out, well, you know what, Mike? You did this to that person maybe they're holding that against you and you're going huh I didn't even think of that forgot all about that friends or wise counselors point out the blind spots and this is important in the process of trying to forgive somebody don't attempt to be your own counselor because you only see it from your perspective number four get in touch with your own need for forgiveness maybe you make a list of everything that jesus has forgiven you for and every time you feel those feelings of unforgiveness come up you pull out the list and you read it that'll put you in touch with reality number five finally meet with the person you need to forgive now this is only possible if the person is still alive if the person has died you'll have to trust god to work that out When you meet the person who is still alive, make sure it's someplace where feelings can be shared. Okay, like if you know there's gonna be a lot of crying and shouting, then maybe you don't wanna meet in a coffee shop. Meet in a park, go for a walk. Maybe if it's the person across the country, you can go into a private room uh, and then do a Skype call. Number six, make it real do something to bless the one who is being forgiven boy this sounds hard doesn't it here's the deal forgiveness has got to look like something maybe it looks like a birthday card or a mother's day card or a call on father's day maybe it looks like a gift at christmas time maybe it looks like a freshly baked plate of cookies made with sugar and not poison. Forgiveness has gotta look like something, folks. It's not just a private act to be achieved in your heart and your mind only if the person is alive. Spend yourself in love for the person who has hurt you. One of the primary purposes for this is to restore love in our hearts for them. Jesus said to bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. You know why? Because he wants you to love your persecutors. Same as him. In fact, sometimes I think the purpose of persecution is to teach us how to love our enemies. Number seven, get ready to do it over and over and over again, you know. Sometimes it's like coming to a window that you've already cleaned. You're going, wait a minute, where are all these smudges come from in this door? I can barely see through it. And you're going, no, I've got to clean the window again. That's what forgiveness is like. I'm going to close with a story of the preaching team. Three other pastors and I have met for like 25 years. I don't know, a long time. Let's say read Steve Garcia, who's spoken here before, and Jim Emig, all pastors. And um, this happened in the context of one of those lunches, two to three hour lunches. Something had happened in my family. A young man had hurt, in my opinion, one of my daughters in a very deep way In my eyes, kind of destroyed her life to an extent. And I hated this kid. He wasn't a kid. He was a grown man. I hated him. It made me nauseous to look at him. And I don't mean, this is not a metaphor. I mean, my stomach would be upset. I would feel like I was going to vomit when I saw him and her together. Years went by. A Couple of years. One day a preaching team, Les Avery, my, at that time, 87-year-old retired Presbyterian pastor friend says, Mike, have you forgiven that guy yet? I remember saying, Les, hold on. I'm working on it. God knows I'm working on it. Just leave it alone. And then he points his pointing finger in my face and he says, because you know, if you don't forgive him, God's not going to forgive you. And in my head, I'm thinking, back off, old man. <laughs> leave me alone. Then Jim and Steve glommed on and they all three got on my back about it. I was so angry. We broke for lunch. I went in my car. Started driving out of the parking lot. Pulled over immediately on the side of the road. I started screaming at God. God, you know I am not ready to forgive that guy. And this little tiny voice spoke in my head. It says, Mike, remember when you were in sports in high school and the coaches had you do something that you didn't think you could do and then you did it? Well, these are my assistant coaches. You can do this. Fine. So I got up my cell phone, and I called him. He didn't answer, not surprisingly. I left a message hey, we need to get together. We got to talk. Three days later, I got a call back. We arranged to meet. In a park. It was December. It was sunny, but it was cold. We go out to the park. We're both kind of shivering. And I look at him and I say, I'm going to forgive you for what you did. But first, I'm going to tell you how you hurt me and everybody else in my family. And I want. And i just told him you did this and this is how it affected my wife and my children my other children and the extended family then i said listen man i am a person who has been forgiven much by god it would be wrong for me to hold this against you and so i forgive you and i know forgiveness has got to look like something so here's the deal and mary was way ahead of me (laughs) i said We have a stocking up on the mantle for you. There will be a Christmas gift under the tree. You're invited over for Christmas dinner. He had been banned from coming to our house before that. Every family holiday, dinner, birthday, you're welcome to come and sit at the table. And I remember the first time, my birthday's in February. So he came to the February and I remember thinking, man, I wish he wasn't here. I wish it was somebody else. It was like I had to clean the window all over again and ask God to help me forgive him. And here is the miracle, by the time a few years went by, I liked him. I enjoyed him. I saw the positives in him that I hadn't seen before. To this day, we still... Text back and forth, whenever I see him at his place of work, we're always saying hi. Give each other hugs. It's amazing. I never thought that would ever happen. That is a miracle, folks. That is the power of the risen Christ working out his love through this old sinner. I pray that the same thing happens for you. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would give everybody here the desire to want to forgive, to follow you in the same way that you forgave us, the whole world through your sacrifice on the cross. And it's in your name that I pray, amen.